Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your voices. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. He's so good to us. He's been so good to us. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for what you've done, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 God is good, amen. Why don't you tell your neighbor, good to see you on this beautiful Christmas Sunday. The whole month of December is Christmas for me, amen. Just love it, love it, love it. Well, before I I go to the word of the Lord, uh, real quickly, I want to make a special announcement, uh, something that it's been in the works for a little while, but I want to share it with you publicly now. Uh, we're getting ready to have a, a, a ministry transition on our ministry team. Uh, at the end of January, Noah Evans, our youth pastor, he's getting ready to come up right now. He is going to be transitioning uh, back into secular employment. And Jasmine and Stephen Funes, who are not here today, they're, they're longtime members of our church. They will be coming back, moving back to Richmond next month for a short period of time. The, the, for those of you who don't know... They have been on a two-year journey. Uh, Jasmine is getting ready to become a proprietor of her very own Chick-fil-A store. Isn't that great? Now, that's the good news. The bad news is it's probably going to be in the state of New York (laughs) for a couple of years at least. But we're believing that eventually they're going to come home long-term, get a store here in Richmond or Mechanicsville. But in the short term, uh, Noah's been sensing this for a while and the timing is the Lord, it's perfect. Jasmine and Stephen are going to be coming back next month, and they are going to become our interim youth pastors until about September or October. We're going to develop a, a, a little bit bigger youth ministry committee, and then come September, we know the Lord will show us what we're supposed to do then at that point, and it might just be committee-led, or there'll be another leader ready to step in. But I wanted to make that announcement publicly because it's starting to get out a little bit now and I wanted you to hear from me. Noah has done an exceptional job for the last uh, 20 months, 18 months. It's hard to believe it's already closing in on two years. He's going to continue to lead our ministry, uh, media ministry, going to continue to be around uh, and we're excited about this transition for him and also for Jasmine and Stephen. I just love, you know what's awesome about the Lord? Before this even started falling into place, he already was putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And I can tell you with integrity. Now, I used to sweat every detail of stuff. I don't even hardly sweat stuff anymore because I just know how God is. He always works it out, and he always does what he needs to do. So uh, we're excited about this transition for Noah, and I wanted to give him a chance to speak to you. So if you hear about it, it's a good thing. And we're excited about this. We're excited about what next year uh, the Lord may develop or do, even within our youth ministry and, of course, in the lives of our youth pastor, Noah. So why don't we give him a big hand of appreciation. Amen. He gave me about 15 minutes to do this, so um, I'll take my time. Just kidding. (laughs) No, I'm um, I'm super excited for where God's leading me. Um, 
couple months ago, I guess more than a couple, a few months ago, God was beginning to speak to me and about transitioning, and me and Pastor had been talking about it for a long time, so this wasn't something that, you know, that we were taking lightly. We were making sure that, um, you know, everything would be in place, and God would be doing anything, and God's been ordering steps. He's been making things happen, and so he'll, he's transitioning me into a, um, a, a new job, a new career path of law enforcement, so I'm not going anywhere. I'll still be here in, in the community. I'll still be here helping with media. I'll be helping Stephen and Jasmine with our youth. Um, I'll just be transitioning into another job, but that being said, I'm, I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I've had here to, um, to work in a place where I can worship, where I can serve God, where I can hang out with all of you guys and um, get to do all the things that I get to do around here. I'm so grateful for that opportunity. And, um, and I know that the youth ministry will be in great hands when Stephen and Jasmine come to town. Me and Stephen have already started working on things for transition. He's been working for a while now from afar. So he's got things in the work. He's, he's, he's going to do great things, and God's going to do great things here continually. All right? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. One, one thing that I can assure you Noah is not going to miss is on Mondays when we have our staff meeting, him always, one of the items on his ministry task list, you may not know this, but we do, we're not afraid to do anything. One of the items is he always has to shampoo a different area of the carpet every week. <laughs> Doesn't always do it every week, but, you know, we try to keep ahead of the stains. Uh, one thing I hate about carpet is it's always getting dirty. So I, I'm pretty confident he's not going to miss that part of the job at all. But, uh, but we love Noah, and I'm excited about what's getting ready uh, to come down the pike. Amen. All right, here we go. Now I'm starting my timer. Uh, we're almost finished with our sermon series called God's Top Ten, uh, a study of the Ten Commandments and how they still relate to our lives. Can you believe it? Here we are on the last command, command number ten. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this series, by the way. Now, next week I'm going to wrap up, uh, do a wrap-up message and kind of put a bow on all this. So next week will actually be the last sermon of this sermon series. But today's the last command that I want to talk about. So let's go to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. I see a real happy papa over there holding his baby right now. I'm talking about you, Carl. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. <clears throat> it says, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. I must confess, it's been a while since I've coveted a donkey or an ox. We're going to try to bring this into modern vernacular here, though. You must not covet. Today's subject from the 10th commandment is going to be this, covet or content. Covet or content. Today we're going to talk about coveting and its positive counterpart, contentment. Now, coveting is a word that it's really not used much anymore, but we encounter its effects hundreds of times a day in the materialistic society that we live in. The Hebrew word for covet in this command is chamad, which means to desire with the intent to own something that can never be rightfully yours. Now, dictionary.com defines it this way. To desire wrongfully, inordinately, or without due regard for the rights of others. To covet another's property. It also says to wish for, especially 
eagerly. It says to have an inordinate or wrongful desire. It means to crave or to envy or to lust after or to yearn for something. Now that's why this commandment specifies your neighbor's house, wife, etc. Because we all know that there are some things in life that we can never legitimately possess. Right? Because they belong to someone else. Coveting is a powerful and underestimated force that can cripple you spiritually and ultimately it can destroy you. Yet it's really hard in our culture to be content with what you have. Our culture actually discourages the idea of contentment. We're continually bombarded uh, with the message, what you have isn't enough, right? You need more, bigger house, a better car, larger salary, nicer clothes. The list is endless. And, and, And probably no time quite like Christmas do we see this in action. Now, full disclaimer, I love Christmas. Trees, trees, decor, out there, out front. I love it. I love Christmas. But a lot of times we spend money that we don't have because we like stuff and we like for the people we love to enjoy stuff. Now, I understand it's in the spirit of giving and and I love Christmas, but doing more than you can afford to do has become the norm. Because we are pressured by culture and sometimes by our family and friends to not be content in doing only what we can afford to do. Now when you think about it, really our entire economy is dependent upon our coveting. Think about it. The housing market, cars, clothing, technology, you name it, we want it. When a journalist asked the late John D. Rockefeller how much wealth was enough, Uh, The millionaire who was at the time one of the most richest and and powerful men in the world. They asked him, how much is enough? He answered, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. See, contentment is the opposite of coveting. It's simply being satisfied or fulfilled or at peace with where you are and with what you have in life. Coveting is the opposite. It's the uncontrolled desire to acquire. Coveting is when you look at what you don't have or what you would like to have and then it awakens in you a discontent with what you have and and a a discontent with a desire for something else. In a way, coveting really is saying, I don't want what God currently wants for me in my life. Think about it. It's saying, God says, this is what I want for you and you say, well, that's not what I want for me. And then there's conflict between what God desires for us and what we desire for ourselves. So in this 10th commandment, God says in Exodus 20, 17, I'm going to read it again. You must not cover your neighbor's house. You must not cover your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Don't cover his house, his wife, his servants, his ox, his donkey. And it's not an exhaustive list, and I love it because at the end of that verse it says, or anything else. That belongs to your neighbor. You can't say, well, my neighbor doesn't have an ox. (laughs) Well, if you like his SUV, then that's your version of the ox. Amen? Uh, He doesn't have a servant, but he's really got a a, a really nice Harley Davidson that I'd love to have. See, we have to examine our own lives, right? Everything is a possibility for coveting. Now, let's talk about some ways that this 10th commandment is unique. 
It's very unique, even from the other commandments. Let me give you two ways it's unique. First of all, this. Are you ready? Here's the first way. It's internal and not external. This commandment is internal, not external. Now, up until this point, the Ten Commandments have dealt primarily with the what? The external, right? There's one God. He's out there. Don't steal things. External. Don't murder. External. Don't commit adultery. External, right? Now, this commandment, though, is internal until it manifests itself externally. Because you can be coveting and no one else would know it except for you. Right? If you're murdering, stealing, lying, other people can see that. But coveting is something that is a private sin. It's a personal sin. It's an internal sin. It's something that only you know about. It's something that makes it very unique, very, very unique uh, among the commandments. What it really reveals to us is that God not only sees our works and hears our words, but God also knows our hearts. Amen? He knows the thoughts of our minds and He knows the desires and the longings of our hearts and, and God judges all of it. That's why our good deeds and our good works will not save us. Those are external things. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I'm a pretty good person. Well, what they're really saying is, externally, I have it somewhat together. Right? Can I get a little help in this house today? Amen. What they're saying is, externally, I I haven't disobeyed a whole lot of the laws. But the truth is, God knows their hearts. And He knows internally if we have broken His laws, whether in principle or certainly even if not in practice, in principle. Now, this command is unique because laws are, by definition, trying to oversee or regulate or control what? Our external conduct. Don't speed to keep you from driving too fast. Don't steal. Don't cheat on your taxes. Don't whatever. It it, it guides our external conduct, not our internal desires and motivations. But it's important to understand God is not just concerned about our behavior, but He's concerned about our desires because they go together. This law deals with us internally. Here's the other thing that's unique about coveting. It's the root of other sins. Jesus says it this way in the New Testament. A good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And the point is that good desires lead to good actions. Bad desires lead to bad actions. Coveting is what you might call a seed sin. Because it quickly leads to other sins. In fact, the Bible tells us that coveting was the original sin behind the fall of man. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Put it on the screen. I got excited when I was studying and I I looked up this verse. As a matter of fact, I could preach a whole sermon just on this verse and I'm going to give you a free 120-minute sermon unrelated to coveting. Are you ready? Here it is. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. This verse, one verse alone, shows you the step-by-step destructive pattern that she took that so many of us fall into. Here it is. It's the steps to destruction. Number one, she saw. Everybody say she saw. She saw the tree. She wanted the fruit. She took and ate. 
So first thing she did, she saw. She saw something that appealed to her that she knew was off limits. Come on, somebody. But instead of stopping there, she pondered it and thought about it. I can assure you, she probably walked by the garden many, many times thinking about that fruit. It's there. She's saying, it's something that I want. So wanting eventually led to what? She took. She took the forbidden fruit. She ate of it. And then she was trapped. But it didn't even stop there. Because you know what? Sin always wants to drag somebody else into your sin. Then it says she gave to Adam. And he ended up in the same predicament. She saw. She wanted. She took. She gave. There's your nice four point sermon, young preacher. Amen. The sins, cycles of entrapment. Amen. I'll save that and pull it out five years from now. Give it a new title and I'll holler in different places and you'll never even know the difference. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Both the Old and the New Testaments point out that coveting is the root of a lot of sins. Let me get back to my point. Talking about lying, 2 Kings 5, theft, Joshua 7, domestic troubles, Proverbs 15, murder, Ezekiel 22, lust, 1 Timothy 6, greed, Proverbs 1, envy, Titus 3, jealousy, 1 Corinthians 3. All of these different sins, the root of it is coveting. These sins are all manifestations of our inability to keep our coveting or our unholy desires in check. Remember, sin begins in our heart. That's where Proverbs says, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of your life. Just as water flows out of a spring, so life flows out of our hearts. Jesus said that out of our hearts come the desires that we have, the words that we speak. It all comes from our hearts. So how do we break the commandment, do not steal? Simple. It starts by coveting something that you can't afford to buy. Right? How do we commit adultery? It starts by coveting someone else's spouse, which you cannot rightfully have until you act on the internal impulses, until it becomes the extreme external sin of adultery. But it all started with what? An unholy desire. See, coveting is the root. It's the root to jealousy. It's the root to lying. It's the root to cheating. It's the root to stealing. You name it. Some of you right now, You're trying to get certain behaviors under control, certain addictions, certain compulsions, certain longings, maybe certain failures. You're trying to manage those things. But what needs to happen is that God has got to do some work at the center of who you are. Amen. Come on. We're we're trying to treat symptoms. We're trying to put band-aids on issues. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about the physical organ that pumps blood. It's talking about the center of your person, who you are. We use the language all the time. We say things like, it's time to get to the heart of the matter. And we're we're talking about what? Getting to the essence of something or the core of something. Getting to the source. The Bible uses the word heart some 900 times in the Old and New Testaments. And here, this issue of coveting, it's a heart issue. It's an internal issue that leads to external actions. Here's the big idea. And I'll just be honest, the kind of sermon I'm preaching today, these are my favorite kinds of sermon to preach. Because I understand, and I hope you understand, that if you will deal with heart problems, you can deal with behavior problems. Amen. We got to quit treating uh, behavior that's not appropriate and start looking into the heart that's not right. Amen. Because if you deal with a coveting problem, you're going to resolve a whole lot of other problems in your life. 
Why would God put the covenant commandment as the last commandment? Well, I don't know and I can't speak for him, but I think maybe this last commandment just kind of wraps them all up. <laughs> you know? Because if we're aware of our tendency toward coveting and what it does uh, and how it reorganizes our heart and how it messes up our priorities, and if we would just be honest with ourselves, how about that? How about that for a sermon? Just be honest with yourself. You know what we could do? We could avoid all kinds of violations of the first nine commandments through obedience to the tenth commandment. Let me share a few things about coveting that are not necessarily unique but are also true for some of the other commandments. Are you ready? Here's my next point. Coveting hurts the people we love. James 4, 1 through 2. <coughs> what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Remember I said it's an internal issue. You want what others don't have. That is a definition of coveting, folks. So you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have. Everybody say coveting. But you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. James says some really interesting stuff in these verses. He says, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? He says, it's your heart. It's your coveting. What did he say? You want what you don't have. Now, don't anybody raise your hand. I'm not here to indict anybody because we've all been guilty of this. What do you do? You start sulking. You start pouting. You envy. If you have family members, you, you might even fight about it. Here we are in James. What are we doing? We're talking about command number 10, even though he doesn't call it by name. Coveting hurts the people we love. We live in a day when we get to see the lives of celebrities. And you know what? The whole point of it, folks, I already told you, our economy is driven, is driven by our lack of ability to control command number 10. And you look at the lives of celebrities and you go, oh, they lost weight. Oh, they look beautiful. And they just had a baby three months ago. Let me buy that weight loss plan. <laughs> Let me sign up for that program. Oh, they moved into a new house and they got these clothes. And man, look at that car that they're driving. Oh, that, look at that house they're living in. That's the place that they vacation at. That's where I want to go. Society shows us the lives of celebrity to elicit coveting in us. And hear me, it works. It works. Let me, let me just give you a, a real life example. Anybody seen the, the Lincoln commercials with Matthew McConaughey? Those are the dumbest commercials I've ever seen on TV. Matthew McConaughey. There, there, there's a car behind me, but you really don't even notice it because I'm Matthew McConaughey. Camera's getting ready to pan in on my face real close. All you ladies are going to think if you buy a Lincoln, your husband's going to look like me. Ain't going to happen. All you men, you think women go swoon over you like they swoon over me. If you drive a Lincoln, ain't going to happen. By the way, there is a, there's a car behind me. I know you don't see it because I'm Matthew McConaughey. I'm driving. I'm just driving. Just driving. And it works. It works. Anybody, by the way, anybody want to see my Lincoln Continental after church? I, no, no, I'm joking. I'm jo I don't have one. That kind of marketing works. You know why it plays to our weaknesses? 
place to our desires, place to our lust, place to our fantasies. It works. And it's not just celebrities, though. It's often the close people in your life. Did you hear they got a raise? They got a promotion. They got married. What do you mean they bought a new house? What do you mean they send their kids to private school? Somebody we know? Now, I know I'm getting real close to home. We get a peek into their life, and we become jealous of it. And then we want what they have or what they want. We want what they got. We don't get it, so we're unhappy. We get angry at them. We make it personal against them. Now, I got a question for you. Don't answer it out loud. Who are you jealous of? Be honest. Not just what do you covet, who are you jealous of? It's really quiet in here right now. Don't you hate it when preaching just strikes right down close to home? Number two, here's my next question. How is your relationship with them? Because here's what I know. You cannot have a pure, good, loving friendship with somebody you are jealous of. You can't. There's always this weird tension. This little underlying hypocrisy because if something goes good for them, oh, that's so great. I'm so happy for you. Can you believe? You see, there's this little, they got a promotion. Oh, that's great, that's great. I'm still making minimum wage. Hallelujah. See, you would never admit it, but it's true. You would never say it out loud, but you go, yeah, that's good for you, but what about me? See, folks, that's wrong. You know what the Bible says? We're to rejoice with those who what? We're to weep with those who... Coveting does not allow you to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're pregnant, really? Well, we're still infertile. We're engaged. Really? Well, I'm still single, so I'm really glad that's working out for you. (laughs) My husband got a raise. My wife got a promotion. Really? I just got laid off. And now, how many of you also learned this painful truth? That there are some people that you cannot share good news with them. Because good news turns bad. You, you, You can't even tell them. Last thing you want to tell them is, praise God, we got an inheritance. You know what? God provided a new car. You're driving up in your brand new Lincoln Continental. How you doing? You like my Lincoln Continental? (laughs) And you know, you're driving up in your new car, and you just hope they don't even see you in it. You know what? You can't even share your blessings with some people because they're so full of envy and covetousness and jealousy. Coveting hurts the people that we love. Amen. Here's the point. I know I'm digging in a little bit. I'm just just trying to help you out here today. If you're jealous of somebody else, your problem is not between you and them. Your problem is between you and God. That's a mighty good preaching right there, Pastor. See, God promoted them. God blessed them. God gave them the position that you want in ministry. God gave them a husband. God gave them a baby. God gave them a raise. But instead of rejoicing, oh, 
you're hurt or you're mad or you're envious, some of you are toxic about it. I can't believe he's making Stephen and Jasmine. You mad at me. You mad at them and they ain't even here. And by the way, I'm just telling you right now, if you got a problem with Stephen Jasmine Funes, you got a problem. <laughs> See, we got to be real, folks. We've got these internal issues, and they're not between us and Rodney. It's not between me and Davina. It's not between me and Clinton. It's between me and God. I'm jealous. I'm envious. I'm unhappy. It's like when... When a dad gives something to one kid and then the other kid hates that kid or gets all jealous because they want something too. And then mom comes along and says, don't hit your sister, ask your father. Because the father's the one that's giving out the gifts. You need to talk to him about it. Maybe the reason the father hasn't given you that gift is because of your attitude. Now I don't know about you, but I was never inclined as a father to lavishly Blessed, spoiled, or ungrateful children. I'm going to tell you right now, the quickest way to get off my Christmas list is act like you don't appreciate it. I will snatch that gift right out of your hand. (laughs) And I will give it to your best buddy right in front of you and say, take that, devil. But see, maybe, don't miss the last part of James. It's not on the screen. Don't miss the last sentence of of James 4 and 2. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Can I just say some of us, not all of us, some of you don't even have what God has for you. He's got this whole big pile of gifts and he's just waiting for you to say, please. He's waiting for you to say, hey God, I really could use another car. I really could use some better housing. Man, my job stinks. I would really love to get down tonight. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) He said you have not because you ask not. But some of us, we're asking but he knows we're not ready for it. Why should he bless you when you can't rejoice in somebody else that he's blessed? Why is he going to promote you when you can't handle where you're at right now? Why is he going to elevate you in ministry when you're envious of other people that are serving in ministry? Coveting. Coveting. Coveting hurts the people we love. Next point, I need to hurry. Coveting hurts us. Doesn't just hurt the people I love. Doesn't just hurt my friends that I'm jealous of. It doesn't just create this weird tension that they know it and I'm not man enough to admit it. So I'm just, hey, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know. Coveting hurts us. Let me just share a couple ways it hurts. Number one, fatigue. Everybody say fatigue. And our push to get more, we overwork ourselves. Some people take on second and third jobs. Not just to pay the bills. That's not what I'm talking about but to buy better stuff. Everybody in the family works just to keep up with the rat race. As a result, everybody's tired, everybody's cranky. Proverbs 23 and verse 4. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Coveting is wearing us out. Fatigue. Everybody say fatigue. You want to know another way coveting is hurting us? Debt. 
The dirtiest four-letter word ever spoken. D-E-B-T. Coveting wreaks havoc on our budgets. See, we think the problem is we don't make enough. The real problem is that we just want too much. See, we don't have a debt problem. We have a coveting problem. Larry Burkett and Dave Ramsey were right. This is what they said. With the exception of a mortgage and maybe a reasonable car payment. Now, Larry Burkett didn't even cut you, uh, cut you any slack on a car payment. But their thing is if you can't pay cash for something, you can't afford it. I'm just telling you what financial people say. According to the Federal Reserve, the average credit card debt per U.S. household was $8,398 in June 2019. Almost nine grand. And that doesn't include all the interest. That, that doesn't include your mortgage payments and your car payments. And, and now, our cell phone payments. Don't you just love how Verizon made it so easy for you to buy a $900 iPhone? It's only $29 a month for 24 months, zero interest. So now we finance that. I'll never forget one day when I was a youth pastor that they had this, I don't even know if it still exists, they had a company called Finger Hut. Does, do they still exist, Finger Hut? My Lord, they're still out there. Jesus, I rebuke Finger Hut in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I'll never forget I'll never forget this boy in our youth group came in and he had on the Air, brand new Air Jordans. They had just came out. 180 bucks. This was in the 1980s. I said, man, where did you get those? I said, I can't believe you could buy it. He said, I bought them on Finger Hut. And I can't remember what the payment was, but I figured it up. And by the time he got through paying for it, he was going to pay almost $400 for those tennis shoes. What in the world? Coveting. Coveting. See, a lot of what we call need is really just greed. The Tenth Commandment deals directly with the problem that we have today of distinguishing between our needs and our wants. Just remember, if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, so is the water bill. Don't forget that, amen? Here's another way we hurt ourselves. Fatigue, debt, worry. Everybody say worry. The more you have, the more you have to worry about it. How am I going to protect it, save it, invest it, insure it, repair it, winterize it, maintain it, avoid taxes on it, keep from losing it? The higher you rise on the corporate ladder, the more likely you are to bring work and job frustrations home with you and stress out about things. One study says insomnia increases with income. (laughs) Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 12 says this, The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. You know why they laid up all night worrying about everything? How am I going to pay this payment? How am I going to pay for that rental property? How am I going to pay for that vacation house? My Lord, I thought that timeshare was a good idea. Look at these maintenance fees. Man, I love that RV. Now i got to winterize it. i got to pay for it. They say the two greatest days of a boat owner are the day he buys his boat and the day he sells it. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm just telling you, the more stuff you have, the more you worry about it. Can everybody say amen? How do we hurt ourselves? Dissatisfaction. Things can bring you happiness for a while, but the excitement soon wears off and we get bored. Why don't things make us permanently happy? You know why? Because things around us are constantly changing. Just look at fashion. Look at style. I mentioned iPhones. I've got an iPhone. 
I, I, by the way, I, I drank the apple Kool-Aid. I, I, I did. I drank it. I love it. I love their products. You know why they roll out a new iPhone every September? Because people stand in line to buy them all over the world. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with the one you got in your hand probably. But we love the latest gadgets. I'm just going, here's my confession. I've got a laptop that I bought in 2012, a MacBook. It still works. And it still runs pretty good. Amen. Not great. I had to put a new battery in it a couple weeks ago. But I've got a seven-year-old laptop. How many of you know enough about computers to know that is a dinosaur in computer years, right? Now, here's my confession. Every time I go to the mall and I walk past the Apple store, I just feel myself being pulled like this. Like, oh, look at those new MacBook Pros. Woohoo! Man, the retina display, it weighs half of what mine does. It is so fast. It is so amazing. And you know what? I don't need it. I want it. And I will gladly sell you mine and go buy it. But that's $1,700 I don't need to spend. Now, when mine finally dies, and sometimes I'm like, Lord, it's seven years old. You can let it die if you want to. But when it finally dies, I'll go get it. But not until then. See, we all have to just admit where we're weak. We're dissatisfied. You want to prove it? Yeah, I can prove it to you. We got to redecorate, remodel, repaint, repair, replace, rearrange. How many of you are still thrilled about the Christmas gifts you got last year? How many of you can even remember what you got last year? (laughs) I'm racking my brain. I'm trying, Lord. What was it? Just let that sink into you while you're going into debt buying Christmas gifts this year. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10. Here it is. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Do I appreciate money? Yes. Do I recognize that money can help you live at a whole new level of misery? Absolutely. (laughs) I'll tell you a funny story. I'm rabbit trailing now. I know this pastor in Florida when he was a little boy. They used to ride from his house to the church. They used to drive through this really fancy neighborhood. All these big beautiful houses. They had tennis courts. They had basketball courts. It was Florida, so almost everybody had a giant in-ground swimming pool. And he was just a little boy, and they would ride. And they were on their way to church. But, you know, these people, where they weren't in church, he would see kids diving off diving boards, kids playing basketball, kids playing on their tennis courts. And he would say, Dad, his dad was a pastor. He said, Dad, I sure wish we had a basketball court. His dad wouldn't even look up and just keep driving. He said, Son, those people are miserable. Those people are miserable. They'd turn around another corner and say, man, dad, I sure wish I had an in-ground swimming pool. Say, son, you don't understand. Those people are miserable. Those people are miserable. Say, man, he said, dad, I sure wish I had a tennis court. Said, son, those people are miserable. And finally, a little boy looked up and he said, dad, he said, what? He said, I wish we were miserable. (laughs) I wish we were miserable. (laughs) Don't make yourself miserable in the pursuit of things that you don't have. Now, let me flip the script here. My wife sang a song to me this morning, an old Sunday school song they used to sing. Never covet, be above it, coveting will get the best of you. Never covet, be above it, remember all that God has given you. Pretty good, right? So what's the antidote for coveting? Contentment. Everybody say contentment. 
Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Oh, it's only 12 o'clock. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. For all you legalists, it's 12.04. Amen. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Why? Because we brought nothing into the world. And we can take nothing out of it. You start with zero, you end with zero. I heard somebody say yesterday, the key to life is living between the zeros. Number eight, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that, said no one ever in 2019, America. Verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Why? Because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, everybody say some, not everybody. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You have to crush coveting with content. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He said, but I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You want to know what the secret is? Boom, verse 13. I can do all through him who gives me strength. He said, I've learned. There's a secret. Whether I'm well fed, whether I'm hungry, whether I got plenty, whether I'm lacking. He said, the anecdote is contentment. And if you don't want to be coveting, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you grow in your contentment. Contentment is simply being satisfied or contented where you are with what you have in life. Now, I'm not talking about it's not okay to want other stuff. I'll talk about that in a minute. I think you should have holy ambition. You should have a little bit of want to about you. Amen. Paul said, I know what it's like to be in need and to have plenty. He said, I know what it's like to be well fed and to be hungry. I've lived in plenty and in want. But he said, I've learned the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let me say a few things about contentment. Are you ready? Number one. Contentment is wanting what God wants for me. Contentment is wanting what God wants for me. Number one, it's not just wanting what I want, but what the Father wants for me. Coveting is when we want what we want. Contentment is when I can live with what He wants for me. See, God knows stuff about me that I don't. So sometimes when He tells me no, that must be best. Because I know He loves me. That's contentment. When we are always coveting, we are actually denying God's provision in our lives. It's like we're saying, well, God, I can trust you. I can't really trust you to take care of me, so I'm just going to grab everything I can out of life. I've got to make sure that I have enough and even more than enough, so I can't really trust you, God, in this season of my life. That's why in the Old Testament, when God said you could have manna, you know what he said? I want you to go out every day and gather it, and if you store it up in your tent... Guess what? It's going to rot. It's going to stink. You're going to wish you hadn't done it. He said, I don't want you to have two days worth of manna in your tent at one time. Because if you do, on the second day, you might not have to trust me. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Seems like a scary way to live, doesn't it? That's the way Jesus told us to pray. So when we're not content with what God wants for us, and we begin to murmur and complain, and we're filled with covetousness, and we, uh, and we can become in danger of rebelling against God's will and place for us in this world. Want what God wants for you. Not my will, but your will be done. Contentment also, it's not determined by poverty or prosperity. Amen? It, it's not. Paul said, I was content when I had nothing. I was content when I had everything. You know, see, people don't believe this. People who are poor think, well, I'll be content when I'm rich. Rich people think, I, I need to get rid of all my stuff and be poor so I can be content. Why do you think a lot of wealthy people, they have good hearts, but they're, they're great philanthropists too. They, they get joy from getting rid of some of their stuff. Contentment has nothing to do with what's in your hands. It has everything to do with what's in your heart. See, some people think if I get more stuff in my hands, I'm going to be more contented in my heart. No, you won't. Well, if I get less stuff out of my hands, then I'm going to have more contentment in my heart. Probably not. Maybe God wants you to have more. Maybe God wants you to have less. I don't know what his measures are. But until you deal with the contentment issue, you've really not dealt with the issue. Mark Driscoll said this, and I thought it was such a good quote. I want to share it with you. He said, we live in a world that has made it about the poor and the rich. And the Bible says it's actually about the covetous and the content. It's not, here's what he said that I love. He said, it's not an economic issue. It's a heart issue with economic implications. It's not an economic issue. It's a heart issue that has economic implications. Here's another thing about commitment. Commitment does not mean no desire. That's not what contentment means. Contentment is not ceasing to have desires. It is not ceasing to have ambition. It is not the absence of ambition. Covetousness is not desires. It is misplaced or unhealthy desires. Does that make sense? Do I think it's good for you to want to, to have a better home? Of course I do. Do I think it's okay to want to drive a nicer car? A Lincoln Continental. Do I think it's okay to want to have, you know, nice clothes for your kids or a good school if you can afford it? Of course, all those things are okay. It's okay to want to live in a nice home and drive a nice car or wear decent clothes. It's okay to want to take a nice vacation or go out to eat or buy your family Christmas gifts. But ask yourself, can I afford this? Am I doing this at the expense of my loved ones or my health or my sound mind? Or, 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 or am I neglecting other obligations in order to pay for X, Y, Z? Am I going into debt to pay for this? Is this extravagant? Is this not good stewardship? What is my motive for wanting this? See, folks, there's so many questions we need to ask internally. You know, what's right for me might not be right for Noah. What's right for Noah might not be right for Kevin. It's an internal thing. We've got to ask ourselves. But do not think that being contented means you just sit at home and twiddle your thumbs and take a vow of poverty. Unless the Lord tells you to do that. That's not what that means. Have holy desire, godly ambitions. Contentment, my next point is resisting comparing myself to others. Ooh, this is a big one. Comparing always leads to coveting. If you're comparing yourself with others, you're creating dissatisfaction within yourself. 
One of the greatest lessons that you and I need to learn is to be able to admire without having to acquire. Right? You can't own everything. Why, why do we constantly compare? Because that's the way we keep score in America. Is by possessions. We're insecure, so we're always looking around and asking, how am I comparing, how am I doing compared to so-and-so? How's our church doing compared to such-and-such church? What's my ministry? Come on, it's, it's everywhere. How's my business compared to the other business that's in my line of work? Oh, how, what's my salary like with the person across the, the room from me that's sitting at another desk? Compare, compare, compare. Somebody once said, I don't know who said it, or I'd give them credit for it, but they said, don't let your net worth determine your self-worth. Amen. See, because when you can truly enjoy the success and the happiness and the blessings of others, everybody say others, then you know you're on the right track. Then you know you're on the right track. But when you feel the slightest bit of resentment, you become ensnared by the sin of covetousness. It doesn't always work out very good, folks. Ahab coveted Naboth's property in 1 Kings 21. David coveted Uriah's wife, 2 Samuel 11. Saul coveted David's popularity, 1 Samuel 18. Miriam coveted Moses' ministry, Numbers chapter 12. Read the stories. None of it ended well. Proverbs 14 and 30 says, It's healthy to be content, but envy can eat you up. Contentment, I think this is my last point, is rejoicing in what I do have. Everybody say, rejoice in what I do have. See, contentment means that at every stage of your life, your happiness is measured by an appreciation for what you have and not by dwelling on an inventory of what you are missing. I want to say that again because that's good stuff. You need to think about what you have, not what you are missing. See, none of us would have anything if it were not for the goodness of the, of the Lord. Matter of fact, you know what? We just need to pause right now and take 30 seconds and thank God for everything you have in your life. God, I'm so grateful today for the shoes on my feet, for the clothes on my back, for the food that I ate this morning, for the car that I drove to church in, for the warm building that I'm worshiping in, for the comfortable chair that I'm setting in, for the people that are around me that I love, for a church that preaches the truth. God, I'm so thankful. I am so blessed. Somebody give God a praise right now. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Rejoice in what you do have. Ecclesiastes 5.19. It is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This indeed is a gift from God. Notice the gift isn't what you got. He said enjoying your work and accepting your lot in life. That's a gift. We need to rejoice in what we do have. Some people fall into the trap of when and then thinking. When I get this, then I'll be happy. The truth is, you are as happy right now as you want to be. You are as happy right now as you want to be. Happiness is not getting whatever you want. It's enjoying whatever you have. 
See, I've got the benefit of hindsight. I'm 53 years old. This next year, I will have been married for 30 years. I will have been in ministry for 30 years, 25 full-time, five as a volunteer assistant pastor. I've got uh, two beautiful children that are grown. But you know what? I can remember when I first got married, and we were living in a two-bedroom apartment with roaches. And everything we had was hand-me-down except for a table that we bought, and I can't even remember what store we bought it at. And we were as happy then. Matter of fact, we were blissfully, ignorantly happy. My favorite meal that I ate at least two nights a week, hamburguesa helper. Hamburger helper, baby. Spaghetti. Chicken. The next week, repeat. Hamburger helper, spaghetti, chicken. Ramen noodles, ramen noodles, however you say. Folks, you're as happy as you want to be. Now, can I, again, can I go back to the godly desires? I didn't want to live in that two-bedroom apartment the rest of my life. I did not like that table, and I couldn't wait to get rid of it. I was glad to buy a bed that I bought. I was glad to have kids. I was glad to watch my kids grow. God has been good to me. And I'm thankful for every blessing along the way. But can I tell you with integrity standing before God, if he never gives me another thing, thank you, Jesus. If he never does anything else for me, God, I am so thankful. I am so thankful. Rejoice in what you do have. I used, you know, and I'm not just talking about wanting more. Can I also talk to some of you people that are in my age group? Don't miss this. It's not just about wanting things that you've never had. Some of us are ate up with missing things that we used to have. The Lord gave me this this morning to say this. While I was reworking my notes this morning, this was not in my notes. I'm talking to somebody here today. I used to own this, but now. My marriage used to be this, but now. Or I used to be married. But now, our church used to be like this, but now it is like now. I used to serve in this area, but now I only dot, dot, dot. My kids used to act this way, but now. See, some of us, we don't realize it, but we are so discontent with where we are because we are longing for the glory days. And can I just remind you, the glory days were not as glorious as you remember them. See, I I don't know the science behind it, Davina. You can raise your hands and, and affirm what I'm saying. But our brains over time, we are hardwired to start ignoring the painful stuff and just remember the great stuff. We don't remember all those fights we had years one through three. We don't remember how bad uh, some of the situations were our kids got into. We don't remember all the drama we had in church 25 years ago when we think it was so great back then. Some of y'all do because y'all were here with us 25 years ago. See, don't fall into that trap. Can I say it again? You're as happy as you want to be right now. I used to be wealthy, but now I'm broke. I'm sorry. I really am. And if, if... if, if you had a great marriage and you got a divorce, I am really sorry. And I mean that with all the sincerity I can muster. 
I mean that. And you maybe some of you experienced death and tragedy and all kinds of terrible things. That's terrible, but all I'm telling you is don't spend the rest of your life being bitter and broken about it. Ask God to breathe life into you right now so you can enjoy, enjoy what you have. Enjoy where you are. You're there. You might as well. See, one of the marks of maturity is being able to say, enough is enough. You know what I've learned? There's two ways to have enough in this life. Number one, get more. That's the hard way. Number two, want less. <laughs> Wanting less is a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot easier. Ecclesiastes 6 and verse 9. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless like chasing the wind. Last point, musicians, come on up, praise team. Contentment is refocusing on what's going to last. What am I talking about? has nothing to do with houses, cars, lands, bank accounts, retirement funds, Lincoln Continentals, none of that. Because everything on earth is temporary. You came here with nothing, you're going to leave here with nothing. You might leave something with, for your kids, and if you do, that's great. That's actually biblical, by the way, but that's another subject. But we got to give our attention to permanent values and reorganize our lives around eternal priorities. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.18. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we need to fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. <laughs> Godliness with contentment is great gain. Luke 12, 15 says, Then he said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. That's Luke 12, 15. See, we got a lot to live for even if you don't have a lot to live on. I'm talking about heaven. I'm talking about eternity. I'm talking about lost souls that need to find Jesus. See, we get so distracted about all the other stuff in this world. What about kingdom priorities? I want everybody to stand with me all over this room. God's top ten. Now let me say this. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, for me to tell you to stop coveting, that's one of the most foolish things that I could ever imagine. I wouldn't even bother with the attempt. You know why? Because I've already told you why. It's a heart issue. You've got to get things right in the heart first. Paul says this in the Bible. All that the law can do is to point out what's within me, but it cannot change me. We change through repentance. And by focusing on what Jesus Christ has done for us. This is the eternal stuff, folks. What you have to do is realize that before you can even begin to stop or try to stop whatever, you need to see that Jesus' death on the cross 
was the sacrifice for all our sins, including our covetousness. Amen? His death was the means by which you and I can be reconciled to God. When God tells us to not covet, I want you to understand who God is. Now, I've stressed this all throughout the course of this series, but let me just revisit it real quickly as we wrap this up. God is a loving Father. And if all you do is receive these ten laws and you don't know the lawgiver, then the laws don't make any sense whatsoever. Remember, God doesn't just want to set you free. He wants you to do what? Live free. Be free. Amen. He does that by giving us His warnings. By giving us His wisdom. When your Heavenly Father gives us laws, they're for our good and they're for us to live free. You know, I, I raised two, two girls and they're raised now. And now I've got a little grandson and I'm always excited when he gets to be around the house. But guess what I find myself doing a lot now that I used to do 20 years ago? Don't do that. Stop. Put that down. Get off of that. Do not climb that bookcase. Don't stop. No, no, don't stop. No, no, don't stop. No, no, don't stop. No, no, don't stop. No, no. You know why? Not so I can be a killjoy. Because I want him to live. I actually want him to continue living. (laughs) I don't want him to get hurt. I want him to grow up healthy and whole. So what do I do? I give him boundaries. Tell him this is what you can do, this is what you can't do. Sometimes we stretch a little bit, sometimes it vacillates a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's so that he can live free and live whole. All these commandments, they're so we can live healthy, productive, free lives. Free from our own and selfish ambitions, free from all the things that trap us, free from all the things that hold us down, free from all the things that quench our eternal perspective. So today, I want to open up this altar. And I want us to pray. And I especially want us to pray about this command. Because hear me, it's an internal one that affects so many of the others. Now I've been joking a lot, but let me be serious for a moment. Some of you... You need to ask God to help you with this because it's driven a wedge between you and people that you love. I'm talking about jealousy. As a matter of fact, every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. Well, you need to feel uncomfortable maybe, but I don't want to point you out. It's driven a wedge between you and people that you love. You need to pray. First of all, ask God to forgive you if it's on you. But secondly, ask God to show you how to heal it. How to fix it. Maybe, maybe you didn't even realize it till today, but maybe you can't, even, you can't even rejoice in good things in other people's lives because you're so unhappy with yourself and you didn't realize it till today. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to help set you free so you can be happy where you are and who you are right now, which will allow God to catapult you into something else. Lord, I want you to help me right now. Can I just confess to you that even as a pastor, for many, many years, I I dealt with this, and it wasn't just, oh man, you know, I wish I had that guy's house or that guy's wife or that guy's car. 
I was envious of other churches, other ministries, other pastors. Like, man, Lord, how come we don't have any millionaires in our church? How come we don't have a nice building that's paid for? How come, how come we don't have, you know, 200 kids in our youth group? How come we don't have this or that? And you know what it was? It was so ungodly. It was about me. It wasn't about the kingdom. I should have been rejoicing. But can I tell you with integrity, God set me free of that. And I'm so thankful. So whether we have 400 or 4,000 or 40,000, that's up to Him. I'm just going to try to love the people that are here and be the best pastor I know how to be. When I mess up, I'm going to get up. When I offend you, I'm going to ask you to forgive me. So folks, why don't we just do a little heart inspection today. I'm going to ask you, as I've done the last few weeks, I'm going to ask everybody that's a member of this church, step out from where you are and we're going to come forward. And we're going to ask the Lord to help us. We're going to ask Him to help us. I'm going to pray for you. Come on out from where you are. say thank you right now before I ask you for anything I'm going to say thank you for every blessing thank you again for every blessing the shoes on my feet the food on my table the people in my life that love me the church family that you've blessed me to be a part of thank you but God I also ask you to examine my heart and Lord when I start feeling a little selfish or when I start feeling a little sorry for myself Help me to remember that it's not your will to compare myself to others that are doing better than me. Because I can just as quickly compare myself to those that are doing worse than me. And God, I know it's not about poverty or prosperity, but God, it's about living where you've called me to be and accepting my lot in life. Lord, I want to know the secret to contentment. I want to know that I can do all things through you who gives me strength. Father, I pray for the body of Christ right now. God, if there's any division or discord or anything that the enemy has tried to plant in us, any jealousy or any, any, any uh, bitterness, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would help us to drive it out of our hearts today. Because I know, God, the root of it is coveting. The root of it is, is our jealousy or our own lack. Help me, God, to be happy with who I am and with where I am in life but also, God, to have holy ambition and to know that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Father, you also said that some of us don't have because we're not asking. So, God, I'm going to boldly ask right now for this congregation. In the name of Jesus Christ, God, I ask for financial blessings. I ask for new and better-paying jobs with better hours. God, I ask for some people that, that need a new home, that you would give them a new home. I pray, God, for healing in marriages. I pray for rebellious children to come back to God. 
God, I pray for healing of broken relationships. I pray, God, and we ask for it, God. We ask for financial blessings. We ask for healings. God, we ask for you to touch our lives, and we thank you, God. But, Lord, we do ask also according to your will. We ask for every blessing to be according to your will and your plan for our lives. God, again, I want to thank you for this church family. Help us, Lord, to walk in the blessing that you've ordained for us, in the place and the time and the season that you've ordained for us. God, I want to live by your word. And I pray today, God, that we would apply the internal principles of your word and they they would reflect in our lives. Lord, I confess that unless you give me a new heart, God, I cannot have new desires. Give me a new heart. Give me a new heart. Come on, if you're not a believer, ask God to forgive you of your sins and invite Him into your life. Father, I invite you to be Lord of my life. I invite you to be the head of my life. I lay myself down at your feet, God, and I give you lordship of my life. I give you lordship of my life. I give you control of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship with the praise team as we sing a song before we dismiss. Amen. And let's just lift our hands and let's bless the Lord together. Amen. Go ahead, Eddie, leave us.